0: John chapter 2, he writes, for us, don't love the world or anything in the world. And this is why context is so important when we read scripture. Context is so incredibly important uh, because what John has just finished doing in this book of 1 John, he's just finished telling us that, hey, it's our command uh, as followers of Jesus to love people. Like he he literally says in uh, chapter two, verse 10, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. Like we're supposed to love the people of this world. So what is he getting at? Well, the Greek word that's used here is the word cosmos, cosmos. And and that can mean a couple of different things. Uh, First of all, the word cosmos can mean Uh, like the people of the world, like all of us, all of the people who have been created by God in the image of God, uh, that is oftentimes referred to as the world. So is the case in John chapter 3 verse 16 when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, it's God so loved the people of this world that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. But cosmos can also mean something different. It can also mean the patterns and the values of this world that oppose the things of God. We, we read in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's that's that word cosmos used there in the language that it's used here in 1 John. Uh, John is telling us we cannot fall in love with the patterns and the values of this world because they run contrary to everything that Jesus uh, teaches us and, and that God has for us in his word. You know, if you think about uh, the, the world and the, the systems of this world, they, they really do. They run in complete opposition to the things of God. Like when it comes to ambition, right? When it comes to like accomplishing your goals, the world would tell you, man, follow your heart, follow your dreams. But, but scripture says in the book of Jeremiah, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Uh, the world would tell you uh, about, uh, you know, like your, your, uh, your sex life. Hey, if it feels good, go for it. Like, that's the way to go about it, and God's Word says, no, 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 that is absolutely not my plan. Just because you desire it does not mean that it's good for you. My plans and my desires for you are best. And so uh, what John is getting at here is that we as believers, we are called to love the people of the world while rejecting the systems of the world. And here's why he says that. Uh, The reason is found in the very next statement. He says... If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, the systems and patterns of this world that oppose the things of God, then the love of the Father is not in you. And the reason why, as believers, that that he tells us not to love the things of this world is very clear. He says, because to love the world is to reject God. Now, that's a pretty Bold statement. And it's a statement that we have to talk about uh, tonight because there's this, there's this cultural Christianity thing that has, that, man, I see it so prevalently here uh, in, in our culture today. Cultural Christianity has really done us a disservice by causing us to think that a verse like this that says if you love the world, you reject God. It, cultural Christianity has caused us to think that verses like that are just an exaggeration. Like, it would cause us to look at a verse like that and just read past it and go, okay, I mean, that sounds good, that's great, uh, I really like the, the, the sentiment behind it, but I'm just going to keep on going. Like, they literally make it seem as if you can have one foot in each camp. Like, you can have a foot in the, the camp of the things of God and uh, the, following Jesus, and you can have a foot in the camp of the world. And I truly believe that cultural Christianity has put us in a place where there will be a disturbing number of people who come to the end of their life, and Jesus looks at them and says something along the lines of, why should I let you in? And they go, look, Jesus, look at this foot. Like, like I'm half in, I, I was in for you. And they think that that's going to be the thing that gets them into heaven. And my fear is that that is not going to be the case at all. That for those people who, for them, Christianity was just a label, that they're going to one day get to the end of their life and realize, man, I did not have this Christianity thing. I did not truly know what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, when I, when I say cultural Christianity, I mean this trend of identifying as a Christian but refusing to live like one. Like today, Christian has, like that word Christian has become more of a label than a lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like it it has become something that we just identify as. Why? Well, maybe because like we're in the South and we're in the Bible Belt. And so when you're in the South and you're in the Bible Belt, man, everybody's a Christian, right? We all go to church. You know, a lot of people go to church and they do things like, you know, that, that church and that Jesus would tell them to do. Uh, but the problem is that it, like, we have to understand if we go to church and we sit there and think that going to church is the thing that's going to make us a Christian, we're so wrong. Like going to church and sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going and sitting in a McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? It does not work that way. That is not how it goes. And there are a lot of people that carry the label of Christian for whatever reason. Whether it's acceptance or I want to put it in my Instagram bio, whatever the reason is. But Jesus is not Lord of their life. I'm telling you, cultural Christianity, it it has done such a disservice. And I truly believe it's going to be the cause of, of one day a disturbing number of people who live with one foot in one camp and one foot in the other coming face to face with Jesus only to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. That is, a, that is a big deal. So either you love God and you reject the things of this world, or you reject God and you love the things of this world. You can't have two polar opposites at the same time. And so you might ask, well, how do I know if that's me? Like, how do I know if I'm one of those with one, like a one foot in one camp and one foot in the other? How do I know if I am a victim of this cultural Christianity thing? Well, I have a couple questions that I want to ask you. Do you tolerate or celebrate ongoing, unrepentant sin while claiming to follow Jesus? I didn't say do you have habitual sin in your life. I said do you tolerate unrepentant sin while claiming to follow Jesus? Like, like, are you? Do you live a sinful lifestyle without any sort of uh, of conviction or any sort of uh, any sort of confession? Do you look for ways to, tr- to twist scripture to accommodate to the messages of culture? Like, do you, read, uh, do you read the Bible and try to take it and make it say what you want? Or do you read the Bible and go, what does this mean for me? Do you believe that there are other ways to get to God outside of Jesus? Jesus is very clear in John chapter 14. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you more concerned about religious activity than a relationship with Jesus? Or do you choose a church based on any or all of the questions that I just asked? Questions to consider. I I mean, I'm telling you, this is something that I see so prevalently, and and as a pastor over college students, it terrifies me that there are students that live under the impression that they are followers of Jesus and, and that they have it all together. And it terrifies me that those students will one day cross into eternity and Jesus would look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Christianity is not a name tag that you stick on yourself to let others know where you stand. It's not just insurance for when you die uh, that, so that you will get into heaven. It is a relationship with the God of the universe that should change everything, not just about the way that you live, but should change everything about who you are. If you love the patterns and the values and the systems of this world, point blank, you do not love Jesus. You can't love two polar opposites at the same time. You know, again, we see all you Georgia fans in the room. If someone were to come up to you, you know, and... uh, for those of you who aren't Georgia fans, sports fans, there's this pretty big rivalry. That's why I pick on them all the time, between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Florida Gators. And so if someone were to come up to you, I'm a fan of one of those two teams, one way or the other, and uh, they basically tell you, hey, you know, I, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I love the Georgia Bulldogs, but I also love the Florida Gators. And when that big world's largest cocktail party thing comes around, uh, man, I kind of hope they both win. Like, you would look at them and go, Are you crazy? You can't stand over here and at the same time love what's going on over there because they're polar opposites. We aren't friends. You see how that works, though? You can't love two polar opposites at the same time. You can't do it. To pledge allegiance to one side is to declare opposition to the other. If you make the decision to pledge allegiance to Jesus, you simultaneously make the decision to pledge opposition to the other. So the question is, what is it that this world has to offer that I'm supposed to reject? You know, you've said very clearly, if I love the things of this world, I I don't love the things of God. But what is it that this world has to offer that I'm supposed to reject? Well, John is very clear here. Let's keep reading in verse 16. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We have an enemy that wants nothing more than to get you to fall for the things of this world. He wants you to chase things that you can never catch. And here's the thing about our enemy, y'all he's crafty, but he's not creative. Like, he's crafty. He, 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 uh, he can throw some things your way, but he is not creative in the slightest. He's been using the same three tricks from the beginning. And, and what I want to do tonight is I want to show you the, those three things. Really, like, uh, so are there any fishermen in the room? Any, anybody who likes fishing? A few of you? So I don't understand, y'all. I'll just put it, just go ahead and lay it out there. Like, I don't get y'all. And here's why. I've given it a shot. Okay, so when I grew up, um, I grew up uh, on a golf course, um, and it was like, uh, it was a golf course for about a year or two when I was in like second and third grade, and then some, like a homeowner's association bought it, and it just became a bunch of empty land and lakes. And so I would go out all the time with my dad, and uh, my dad loved to bass fish, and so he would uh, take me out, and he would try to show me the ropes, and look, I just don't get it. You guys, like, it's such an art and a science. If you're not a fisherman, uh, here's, here's what it often looks like, okay? They roll out there and they got this thing, it's called a tackle box. And it's like a fisherman's briefcase or a construction worker's, like, tool bag, right? It's got everything in it that they need to catch fish. You open that thing up and it looks like, I mean, like they're building a model rocket or something. Like, it is crazy. And what they have in there is all their lures. Now, a fisherman and their lures, like, they are best friends, right? They have lucky lures. They have lures for, like, different pH levels of the water. Like, man, the sun's the sun's about here in the sky. Uh, it's about 72 degrees outside. I think I'll go with, like, the double frog spinnerbait, you know? Like, they have all these crazy things that they will use, like, depending on whatever variations it is, they will throw these different lures in the water, and that's how they do their thing. And I don't get it. Never have. Here's the thing about the enemy. He's only got three lures. Like his tackle box is empty. He's got three lures, and they come in different shapes and sizes, but at the end of the day, there are only three. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what I want to do tonight is I want to explain what these things are, uh, but I want to show you the lack of creativity that the enemy has. Has like he's literally been using these same tactics since the garden, and I want you to—I want to help you uh, recognize these lures in your own life, uh, so that you won't take the bait when he throws it your way. All right. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter 3. So as you're turning there, what's going on here in Genesis chapter 3, uh, God has just created man and woman in his own image. He's created Adam and Eve, and he's uh, basically given them a mission to subdue and cultivate the earth. Not only has he given them a mission, but he's also given them a rule. And that rule is that they are not to eat from the tree of knowledge, and uh, it's a tree called uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He, he says you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you cannot eat from this one specific tree. And so we pick up here. The the enemy, Satan, is about to come on the scene, and he's about to use those same three lures that we talk about uh, in our passage tonight. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent, again, that's Satan, said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There it is. Tactic number one, it's the pride of life. The pride of life. We see it here in the garden that literally the enemy, uh, he is going to come to Eve and he's going to lie to her. He causes her to think, get this, that she would make a better God than God himself. And And that's what the pride of life is. It's when we are deceived into thinking that we would be a better God for ourselves than God would be to us. When we're deceived into depending on ourselves for life. And this is what the enemy does. He, he gets us to think, you know, you could probably take better care of yourself than God could. Like, you probably know a little better than he does. He, he gets you to think, man, you, you would be a better Lord of your life than God would be. And, and here's the thing. It almost always starts with a hint of doubt. A lot of times in the form of words like this. Did God really say did God really say, man, you should pursue this career path? Did God really tell you that? Because I kind of think you would do a really good job pursuing this thing over here. You should pursue that. I'm telling you, you could make a name for yourself. You could build your kingdom, your your own career, like you could further yourself in so many ways. Did God really tell you to move in this direction? It could could also, uh, the pride of life, look like, man, this is you when you you brag about yourself or try to use the position of influence or power to put other people down. This is us when we try to take credit for the Lord moving in our life. Man, this is something that I truly have to watch myself in. Um, With with all that's going on with Revive um, here at UNG, like, I all the time catch myself thinking, our leadership team, is they are incredible. We have the best leadership team on the planet. And, and it's true, we really do have the best leadership team on the planet. But here's the thing, what I often find myself doing is crediting the success of this to them. And the success of this has not a thing to do with any one of them. It's got not a thing to do with me or the words that come out of my mouth. And it has everything to do with the fact that the Lord has his hand on this ministry. And so it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of, of giving credit to ourselves when the Lord is moving in our life. It's the pride of life. Not only do we see here the pride of life, but we see the desires of the flesh. In, uh, in chapter 6, the, uh, the Bible says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. See that? It's, it's that when she saw that the tree was good for food, that she fell. And this is, this is interesting here. It's her appetite that gets her in trouble. Like, it's the fact that she was hungry. To which you might go, is that like, am I not allowed to be hungry? Like, what is the, what is the deal there? There's not a single thing wrong uh, about, uh, about food or having an appetite. The thing that is wrong about it is when we try to fulfill that need in a way that's not honoring to God. And this is what John means when he says the desire of the flesh. These are desires or even needs that were hardwired into us when God created us. That literally when God created my, like myself and all of you, he knit desires into our hearts. Good, godly desires that we should have. And what the enemy will do is he will try to get you to fulfill those needs or desires in a way that is not honoring to God. That's the desires of the flesh. A lot of time when people hear the desires of the flesh, they think sex, right? And it most certainly can be, right? That's a good desire that God has given to us, the desire for sexual intimacy. But that desire is good under the context uh, in which God has established it and built it. And what the enemy will do is he will, try us to, he will try to get us to fulfill those desires in an illegitimate way, in a way that is not honoring to God. But it's so much more than just sex, it's so much more. It is alcoholism. It is gluttony. It is the natural, like a natural desire to uh, for community, a natural desire to be surrounded with other people. It, it can be that when that natural desire turns into idolatry of other people, the need to be needed. It can, it can be our natural desire for meaning and worth. Like that's a That's a desire that God gave us, that he hardwired into us, the desire for meaning and and worth. But it becomes the desires of the flesh. It becomes sin when we try to fulfill that desire through the things we post on our social media or through the way that we dress. The desires of the flesh. The enemy wants us to pursue legitimate things in an illegitimate way. We see in the end of verse 6, the desire of the eyes. After he said, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, he says, and that it was a delight to the eyes. The desire of the eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. That's what it says in verse 6. The desire of the eyes is the pursuit of that which we do not already have. It's pursuing something that we don't already own. And this way often manifests itself through the endless accumulation of stuff. Like, I need more stuff. We want the best. We want it quickly until it wears off, until the the newness goes away. And then we want something that's better, that we can get quicker. It's like, it's this constant cycle. It's like uh, moving on a hamster wheel, like moving, 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 not getting anywhere. The enemy is crafty. But he's not creative. The desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. These lures have been around since the garden. He, he still uses each and every one of them today. And he knows that if he can get you to pursue these things even if it's just every now and then, like even if every now and then he can get you to slip up, if he can get you to make the decision to pursue the things of this world, then he wins. Why? Because you can't love the world and God at the same time. You can't do it. So, John says to us, back in our, uh, in our, in our passage, you can turn back to 1 John chapter 2, He says to us in verse 17, last verse, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John says to us, the world is passing away along with everything that it offers us. The most permanent things of this life that we live right now that the, the things that we put the most stake in, the things that we are told are the most permanent things that are not of God, have no value in eternity. The world and its desires are passing away. Nothing that this world offers are, is fully and finally satisfying. If you're chasing the things of the world, you're chasing something that you cannot and will not catch. And, and we've experienced this in each of those things that we just said, right? Right? Like like we've experienced that when it comes to the desires of the flesh. When we pursue uh, legitimate desires in an illegitimate way. It's why even after hooking up with him or her, after that awesome party where you got absolutely plastered, that last hit, the last line of whatever it was, every single time you always end up at the exact same place, hungry for more. Because nothing that this world has to offer is fully and finally satisfying. When we try to fill our appetite with the wrong thing, we will always be left hungry for more. Don't chase what you can't catch. So you might ask, what's the answer? Because in a, in a lot of churches, uh, what, what you might hear, ho- hopefully not, but what, what I think a lot of times we almost like contort uh, God's word into hearing or contort the message of whoever's speaking into hearing, we, this is the point in the message where we go, okay, I hear what you're saying. My job is to try harder. Like I hear you saying, man, don't pursue the things of this world. And so absolutely, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to give it more effort. I'm going to put more into it so that hopefully I won't be like this person, these people that you're describing that falls. And that is not the message at all that I want to convey to you. See, here's the thing. When it comes to uh, the reality of what we're talking about today, like if you think that the takeaway for this message is to try harder, the best of us in this room would be lucky to make it until tomorrow before they fell again. Like if that's the strategy that you employ, man, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to white knuckle this thing until I figure it out, you will fall and fail miserably every time. The reality is this. We are not mistakers that need to try harder. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We have all fallen. We have all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. And because of that, it creates this chasm that we we sang about earlier that we cannot cross ourselves. The only thing that gives us the power to resist the temptations in this world that we've talked about tonight is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in and through us, that is is what gives us the power uh, to resist the temptation of the enemy. That's the only thing. Why? Because Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If left on our own, trying to manage our own sin, again, y'all, we will fail every time. I want you to think about it like this. If you were to go out into the ocean or into uh, a pool of some sort with a beach ball and I were to tell you, I want you to hold that beach ball under the water for the rest of your life, you might, you might survive for, for, like you might have a strong start, right? A- have you ever tried to do that before? And we've all played that game when we were little, right? You try to uh, hold the ball under the water, like you always start well until you get like sunscreen on your hands, until you get off balance, maybe a wave hits you, whatever. Every time it ends in the same way, that ball is coming up. At the end of the day, if what we try to do is manage our own sin, hold it down ourselves, each and every time we're going to find ourselves in a place where we lose. It's only when you come to understand and know the finished work of Jesus on the cross that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only when you place your faith in that that you will see we don't have to try harder to achieve righteousness. We don't have to try harder to resist temptation. The righteousness of God has been placed on us, imputed to us through Jesus giving his life for us on the cross and being raised again three days later. That is the good news of the gospel, that that if he lives in you, then it is his power that already defeated death, that already defeated sin, working through you that gives you the power to resist temptation. If your life is not rooted in the finished work of Jesus, it will be uprooted by the things of this world. If your life is not rooted in the finished work of Jesus, it will be uprooted by the things of this world, by those exact things that we just talked about. And so tonight, man, I want to ask each and every one of you that question. Have you placed your faith, rooted your life in the finished work of Jesus? I'm going to invite the band to, to come back out. And um, man, that, that is such an important question for each and every one of us to consider. It's a question with eternal consequences. It's, and the question is not, man, have you made the decision for culture or for a friend to follow Jesus? It's not, have you made the decision to follow Jesus uh, to please your parents because you knew that they'd be really upset if you didn't. The question is, have you, for yourself, made the decision to follow Jesus and to sell out everything that you have for Him? This cultural Christianity thing that we find ourselves in, man, it it confuses so many of us into thinking that we've made that decision when when I really believe that for so many of us, Christianity is just a label. It's just something that we, that we put on to make ourselves feel good. If your life is not rooted in the finished work of Jesus, it will be uprooted by the things of this world. You will chase after that which you cannot catch. My question tonight is this. Do you know Jesus? John chapter 17 verse 3 says, This is eternal life. In other words, this is something that if you chase it, you can catch it. You can hold on to it, and it will be yours forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you know Jesus? If you build your life on temporary things, that's all your life is going to be, is a temporary thing the only life that will last forever is one that is lived, sold out for, following Jesus with everything they have. Do you know Jesus? Have you made the decision to place your faith in the work that he accomplished on your behalf on the cross? He gave his life for you, defeated sin and the grave for you. Do you know him? And so our band is going to lead us in a time of response. And, man, if, if you do know him, if you have made that decision, we're going to sing a song that is, you are going to absolutely have every opportunity to tell Jesus how much you love him and how thankful you are for the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. And so, man, if you have made that decision, I want you to sing this next song at the top of your lungs. But if you haven't, I want you to seriously consider that question tonight. I want you to seriously consider it. So what I want to do is I want, I want all heads bowed, all eyes, all eyes closed across the room. Nobody looking around. And I just want the opportunity to pray for, uh, for some of you in here. And here's how I want to do it. If you, have, if you would say tonight, man, I have never made the decision for myself to, to follow Jesus. I've been a victim of this cultural Christianity. I've been loving the things of this world. If that's you, if you, if you have never made that decision and, and you want to tonight, I'll just invite you, I want to pray for you, if you would just slip a hand in the air. Nobody looking around. Nobody, and nobody, nobody judging you. Man, if, if there's anybody in this room, this is the greatest decision that you can make in your entire life. I saw those hands. I see them. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Awesome. Well, listen, I want to I pray for you guys. And uh, what, what I want to invite you to do is, is take a bold step of faith as we sing this next song. I want to invite you to slip out to the back of the room. We have some leaders back there that would love to talk you through what that decision looks like. Man, they, they would love to have a conversation with you about what it looks like to place your faith in Jesus. So I want to pray for us. And, and those of you who, who, man, you have made this decision, I want you to sing with everything that you have and celebrate the fact that Jesus gave his all for us so that we could give our all to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for for those that have made the decision tonight, Lord, to cross from death to life. Father, I pray that they would not hesitate once this music starts to slip out to the back of the room. That God, they they would follow through with making the most important decision of their life. I thank you, Father, so much for this incredible group of believers that we have in this room. And I pray blessing over them tonight, Lord, that they would have the strength to withstand the temptations of the enemy, that you would fill them with supernatural strength and power that that they have because they've placed their faith and trust in you. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. It's all for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand and sing.